living our lives to, for, and in the Lord. That's next on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. You see, the tithes and offerings mentioned in the scriptures, they affect all of us equally across the board because the Lord measures our giving on our willingness of our heart to give and the willingness of our heart to sacrifice. That's why a widow can give a couple pennies and the Lord just says, look at that one. You look at that. Oh, but she just gave two pennies. No, no, no. You're seeing the wrong thing, right? Good observation. Make a good observation. That woman, she loves me. What do you mean? Two pennies. Yeah. That's all she's got. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Hey, thanks for tuning our way and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly to continue our study in 1 Kings. We left off in chapter 10 at verse 6, if you want to head there now. As we've been studying the life of Solomon, we've learned how he grew in wealth and wisdom by the hand of God. His reputation really spread around the world and caught the attention of the Queen of Sheba. When she visited Solomon, she was really blown away by the wisdom of Solomon. Now, today we'll take notice of his great wealth, something that should be used for the glory of God. Now, I should add, the same holds true for what we've been entrusted with. Notice verse 6, back in 1 Kings. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I didn't believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, verse 9, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices, and great abundance, and precious stones. There never again came such an abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Verse 11, And the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood, precious stones from Ophir, and the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for the singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has there been like any seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So there's an exchanging of gifts now, very prosperous king and queen exchanging gifts. They are enjoying both a personal friendship that's being developed and a political alliance. And she's just blown away by her visit. Not only did she lose heart over it, but what, what she had heard wasn't even half of what she saw. She was just so blown away by the presence of God. She, she does attribute this to Solomon, but, but she, then she says in verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God. 
And she recognized that it was from God and to God and in God that this is coming from Solomon. And she noted that God made Solomon a blessing to all them around them in verse 8, as God promised he would do. She also blesses Yahweh in verse 9. And her gifts included one and a half tons of gold. That's a lot of gold, one and a half tons. What's an ounce these days, a thousand bucks? I mean, that's a lot of gold. Uh, A lot of expensive gifts. Now, a side note here in relationship to this, a side note is there are a couple of, of legends that are associated with the Queen of Sheba and the lineage of Solomon. One of them is a Jewish romantic legend that says she requested and received from Solomon a a son and and he gave her, he fathered a son by her. That's untrue. There's another legend that the Ethiopian Asbicinian line was founded by the offspring of Solomon and the queen, which is also untrue, can't be substantiated. But there's all kinds of stuff out there regarding the Queen of Sheba and Solomon. And what we know of is recorded for us in Scripture. Now notice verse 14 as we wind down. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold, or about a billion dollars in today's money. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon, verse 16, made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold went into each shield, And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory, overlaid it in pure gold. The throne had six steps. On the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat. Two lions stood behind, beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, verse 20, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had ever been made for any other kingdom. Very opulent, very beautiful Very bright. Notice verse 21. All the King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Not one of them was silver. This was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. But isn't it interesting when you read in uh, Revelation, what we value today, gold is going to be like asphalt in heaven. Just like silver is nothing to, in Solomon's day, gold is so valuable. Well, what's so valuable to us today is going to be nothing in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be gone. It's going to be like the the streets are going to be made of gold. But here in the reality, notice it says in verse 22, for the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, all at a set rate year by year. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. Uh Uh-oh, watch out for that, verse 26. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowlands. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt in Keva. The king's merchant brought them in Keva at the current price. 
And a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. 25 tons of gold is a massive amount of gold. Uh, It's hard to even consider what this is. A fulfillment of God's promise, what he said back in chapter 3, that Solomon would be wealthy. And there's a difference, isn't there, between having wealth and using it for the glory of God and having wealth and trusting in uncertain riches. There's a difference. I want to show you something. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6? Let's go to our New Testament application when it comes to money and when it comes to wealth. Because here it's obvious that not God not only promised wealth, but he also gave it. He fulfilled his promise. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6 of what Paul's now saying to Timothy and how to minister to those in his community, uh, in those in his church fellowship that have money, that are wealthy. Now, I don't think we're, you know, we're, you know I, don't, I haven't met anybody yet that has ships coming and delivering apes, monkeys, and donkeys to them. I mean, that, that's pretty wealthy. That's pretty extravagant. But I have met quite a few people that have been blessed materially over the years. And that have a lot of money and a lot of riches and a lot of resources. And really, if you, if you look at your own life and some of you are kind of shaking your head about the station in life you're in right now and, and kind of the hard place you're in right now and, and you don't see a lot of money you know, in your hands or you do see it in your hands and it just goes to pay your bills. According to the statistics, even in, in our worst condition here in the United States, we do better than 95% of the rest of the world in wealth, personal wealth in our own lives, where there are massive amounts of people, believers and unbelievers alike, that make a few dollars a day, laboring day and night in the culture and society that they're in. So no matter how we measure wealth, whether it's from Solomon and just you have more than you ever will need, or you're struggling right now, or you're in between and you make a healthy living, or you have a healthy retirement, here's what Paul tells Timothy in verse six, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you might want to mark it down. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time. He says this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So in all the the instruction that that Paul's given to Timothy and all the instruction that he's telling him how to be a pastor, how to serve the church in Ephesus, how to be a young man, strong in the faith, overseeing the ministry. He gives this little paragraph and he says, there's going to be rich people in your ministry. There's going to be people in your church that have a lot and you need to command them these things. You need to stand strong to them. Don't be influenced by them, but command them. And, And if you would summarize these three verses, it's simply this. Those that have resources, use them for the glory of God and don't trust in them. Don't put your trust in money but in God. 
who's faithful. And it's been said that if wealth makes a person proud, then he understands neither himself nor his wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. This is a far cry, is it not? Is it a far cry from the slavery in Egypt to Solomon's wealth? Where did that come from? God. God made it happen. And you might think, wait a minute, no, 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 I, I work hard for my money. God gave you the strength to work hard. I went to school for like 50 years, and I finally graduated, paid off all my loans, and that's where I, you know, I worked hard in school. I bet you did, and God gave you the mind, God gave you the resources, God gave you the insurance exam tests. He, he, he did it all. No, no, I, no, I don't think God did it all. I did it all. <laughs> don't become haughty. Everything has come from the Lord. Wealth and riches and resources all come from God. It all belongs to him. That's what Psalmist said in Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine, God says. When we come to this conclusion, we are so set free from the bondage of money. We're so set free from the worry of money. We're so set free from the concerns that come with our stuff when we realize it's all his. And I'm to do with it what he directs me to do with it. And here's the key. Whether you have a lot or a little, whether you have an extra money at the end of the month or you barely make it, after you tithe, after you pay the rent, after you pay the bills, the Bible says... The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and he delights in every detail of their lives. So what does Paul tell Timothy? Notice verse 18. He tells him to do three things. Share it. What do I do with my money? I share it, I spread it, and I send it off. That's really what he's saying. Timothy, you need to command those that are rich. If we use the statistics that are available to us, that means we all would be wealthy compared to the world. Command the wealthy. Yeah, but you don't understand. If I command the wealthy and they don't like it, I might, and pastors go through this all the time. If I command the wealthy and they don't like it, they'll leave the church. Well, at least they'll leave your church with the truth. And you're the only one they'll ever hear it from. If you guys, I know a lot of you are new at our church, and, and if you don't already know, we take a real low-key approach to, to giving. And we take a low-key approach and emphasize it where it's emphasized in the Scriptures because we believe that where God guides, He provides. So we're not going to beg you. We're not going to plead with you. If you're rich today, I don't know it. Uh, if you're not rich, I don't know it. We're not going to cater to the rich and ignore the poor. Uh, we're, we're not going to... You know, we're not going to do big pledge drives and everything and then promise to put your name on a plaque somewhere so everybody knows what you gave and take your reward away. And so you can, you know, we, 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 if we do something, it'll be unto the Lord. You know, if there's ever needs in our church, what there are, 
You know, we're still saving for the price of property in Aurora, and if we're ever going to build something else to make some room, it's going to take a lot more than it did to build this place. So if the Lord does it, great. Um, but we're not going to name it, you know, the Ed Taylor building of the, you know, Aurora or, or, or you, you know, if you, well, I'll give you a big check, Ed, if you put my name on the building. I don't, I'm going to command you as rich uh, not to trust in your uncertain riches because the building's going to go away. I mean, you can think about it. If we put the name up on this building, when we sell it, they're probably going to change it. I'm sure they'll take it down. It's like, then what do you do? Um, you got trust in your uncertain riches. And, and when we ask for something, when there's a need in our church, we'll let you know. And then it's your choice whether you want to pray about it. I mean, you should pray about it. And if the Lord lays it on your heart to get involved, then get involved. Participate. If, if you think, no, I don't think God wants us to be a part of it. Great, don't be a part of it. It's between you and the Lord. And we don't have, you know, you, we don't take an offering here. I've mentioned that before where we're, we're not coming down the aisles and, start, and then passing a plate or anything. I don't have anything opposed to that. It's just in the beginning of our church. Uh, I came out to plant a church and, and I didn't really know how to handle all this stuff. And the church was already established with like 30 people and they had an offering box. And I said, what do you do? And they said, well, we just tell people there's the offering box and, and uh, they should give when they come to church. And so that's what we did. Now we have many more offering boxes now uh, around the building, but that's what we do. Because when you came to the temple to worship God, you came with the expectation and the readiness to give. You came, they had boxes on the side of the building that were shaped like trumpets and you gave. That's why you guys that are familiar, when Jesus was watching how people gave and the widow gave her might and the, the publican sounded off, and, and he gave, and the widow gave everything Jesus said, and the, the other guy gave out of his riches, and she gave out of everything that she had. How, how was that possible? Because they were all giving when they came to the temple. And, and we don't know, and it's a policy of mine, uh, to not know who gives, when they give, how much they give. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't have access to that computer. I don't have the password, nothing. I don't want to know because I don't want in any way my flesh to be provoked to give extra attention to somebody that might be super wealthy because God made you wealthy uh, and you get the same attention as someone that may not be so wealthy or might be struggling who God loves just as much and that's their lot in life so we don't show favoritism or partiality because of money because that's what our society does. The more money you have, the more privilege you have but that's not to be the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't measure value and worth by money. He judges value and worth by the blood of Jesus Christ, his own blood that was shed for you. And we just have to be careful because it's hard to be in the presence of, of wealth and, and prosperity. But God is the giver of all that. And praise God if he's entrusted to you with a lot. You know what that means? He trusts you. He trusts you and me with what he's given to us, little or lot. And we're to be ready to give. Do good, he says in verse 18. Do good. Use what you have to bless others. Use your resources for the work of the Lord. Be ready to give as the Lord lays on your heart. Be willing to share. Be, be in a place in verse 19 to store up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come that you might hold on to eternal life. And I've met many wonderful men and women uh, that God has entrusted with great wealth. And, and almost all of them have been given the gift of giving along with that. The gift of giving, like they're just, 
They, they inspire me in how God uses them in business. God uses them in their position um, and in our society. In some positions, they make a lot of money, and they're just givers. And, and they all say the same thing, the same phrase over and over again. Well, you and I might be struggling giving this or supporting this missionary or doing the math, you know, just getting our calculator out and doing the math, and I don't know if I can, and it's sacrificial, and what's going to happen? And while we're wrestling, those with the gift of giving, they'll say this. They say it. I, I hear it from every person I've ever met with the gift of giving, whether they're wealthy or, or not. And that's simply this. You can't outgive God. And they'll give you examples of it. You can't outgive God. And I found that to be true in my own life. You can't outgive God in any way whatsoever. God is always funneling his resources, always giving us the time that we need to those that trust. I've met many wonderful men and women that are extremely wealthy and successful, and I've also met many, many people that we wouldn't be considered. We wouldn't call them rich. We wouldn't call them wealthy. They're not making ivory chairs with, with lions, you know, and, and uh, they, just, they just got one of those, those lawn chairs. I remember when Marie and I got married and we moved into our first apartment, I had a milk crate I stole from the market. And I don't, I don't think they may, I don't know if they make those anymore. We turned that upside down, put the TV on that somebody gave us, and we had two lawn chairs. That was what we had in our front room, man. And a bed that was donated to us. And that's what, oh no, somebody gave us a brand new bed. It wasn't donated. Somebody gave us a brand new bed. And that's pretty, and, and then we moved in with our, that's all we had. That was our furniture. And, and that's what the, like God was just so, we, you just, we, we had more than we had when we moved in. But you wouldn't consider us rich. We definitely didn't consider us rich. That was, uh, that was an interesting, that was an interesting time. But man, it was so, it was so good, man. I remember the time I, I used to sit back on the chairs, you know. I still do it. It's a bad habit. But I'll lean back on the, li- the, final, the, the last two things, you know. Um, I'll lean back like this, and I'll just kind of sit back and try to balance myself. And I remember I was doing that with that plastic lawn chair, and it snapped and caught my finger in the thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, honey, we need new furniture. And I got my thumb cut off, you know. It's like, you know, we, we may not be considered rich, but, man, they give so generously unto the work of the Lord. Their time, the money, their offerings. You see, the tithes and offerings mentioned in the scriptures, they affect all of us equally across the board. Because the Lord measures our giving on our willingness of our heart to give and the willingness of our heart to sacrifice. That's why a widow can give a couple pennies and the Lord just says, look at that one. You look at that. Oh, but she just gave two pennies. No, no, no. You're seeing the wrong thing, right? Good observation. Make a good observation. That woman, she loves me. What do you mean? Two pennies. Yeah, that's all she's got. What about that guy, man? He's writing a check and signing the air. And look how much money he's giving to the temple. We put a whole new roof on the temple because of that guy. Yeah, but you don't understand. That guy's got so much. He's waving it in the air. He's trying to get people's attention on his giving, missing, trying to take the glory of what, God, what I'm doing in the temple, trying to take the glory for it all. Solomon was to use his wealth to glorify God. He wasn't to multiply horses, chariots. God told him that. He wasn't to cause Israel to be the most wealthy, prosperous nation on the earth. He was to use it to honor God just like we are. 
We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org or request the CD for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation. And Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to First Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.